Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. All right, my friends, here we go. We're back and at it here on this fantastic Tuesday. Tuesday in June, first day of summer. I don't know, is it first day of summer yet? It's coming up if it's not. One of my favorite times. I have lots of favorite times of the year, you may have noticed, if you listen to this program regularly. The only time you really won't hear me say my favorite time of the year is pretty much the month of January, possibly February. Um, I find some good stuff, weather-related or Christmas-related or whatever. Memorial Day, the spring, that's all great, but January and February are a bit tough for me. Email Todd at com. You can also join us on our online community, community.toddhuffshow.com, and if you have an interest in watching 2,000 Mules with us in our online community, all you have to do is text the word MULES, M-U-L-E-S, MULES, to 317-210-2830. Forgot to mention, I think text and data rates may apply. Um, we're not going to blow you up or anything. That's just to say, hey, I'm, I'm interested in learning more, um, and then we'll... Uh, we haven't made a final decision, but we'll be looking at doing that soon. So that you, if you haven't seen it, again, if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it elsewhere, do it. Um, I think it's important. I get, you know what? I get asked a lot. I was thinking about this earlier. I get asked probably, probably the most common question I get asked is, "What can I do?" Meaning, hey, Todd, this country is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm watching. As our culture devolves, our as our economy implodes, as just all these things happen to this country, courtesy of the policies and leadership of today's radical left, which of course is who controls today's Democrat Party. What can I do? Well, there's some things that we all know that we can do, which include register to vote and all that kind of stuff. But some people are basically saying, but what else can I do? I mean, what can I do to move the needle? You know, of course, we want to teach our children and try to, you know, in- increase our sphere of influence and all this sort of stuff. Um, in fact, you may have found, you may have heard this before. In fact, I was at a a, a little group that uh, one of, who was, I think Marsha Blackburn was there. I believe this is who said this. <clears throat> she said, did you know, to this group of uh, pro-life Hoosiers, it was in Indianapolis, or central Indiana. I don't know if it was in Indy. Maybe it was in a Avon or something like that. Um, did you know that the most that most people get their their, their preferred news news source is not CNN or Fox? She says it's YOU. It's you. It's people who they trust, uh, who are knowledgeable and trustworthy in their communities. And there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. That people people don't know. People know they're being misled and lied to. People know that. What's happening in this country is not the way that it was framed to work. People know that something isn't right. Some people, some people know what it is. Some people, some other people don't know what it is or to what degree. And so we have to help. We have to help communicate to those people 
And I think, I do think one of the most basic things that a person can do is watch, <laughs> whether you do it with us, I don't even care. But I think if you watch this documentary and then you're out in public and you listen to people say, you know, the big lie and there's no evidence for voter fraud or election fraud, and you can say, oh, you obviously haven't seen 2,000 mules because there's evidence. There's actually a decent amount. <laughs> Depending upon your perspective, there could be a massive amount. I think there's a massive amount, period, but I'm trying to be to meet the person where they where they might be. They've been told for, what, a year? Well, no, what are we, a year and a half now that everything has been fabricated and made up by Trump, and that's what this January 6th made-up commission is about. It's designed to be political theater. It's designed to basically have the takeaway be that Trump's people were telling him that you can't do this. This'll, this is overturning the will of the American people. But, that's, again, they're having a, a make-believe argument. They're, they're not actually responding to the argument being made by people who have questions about the election. The, the question isn't whether or not uh, – if everyone knew what the vote totals were, that Trump could just declare himself as president again or that Pence could declare Trump president again. That was never what this was about. Now, they want you to think it was, but it wasn't what it was about. In fact, I'll probably be punished somewhere for saying this on social media, but it's the truth, my friends. So what it was about was which votes are we going... Are, are there? Is there enough evidence to say that some of these things that happened are not explainable, or at least should raise red flags and questions. They should at least make us think about our election policies. They should at least make us wonder if this is the best way to operate a free and secure election. And then to hear people say, and this is fantastic to me, when people come out and say this was the most secure election ever, what in the world, who goes around, who goes around and, and measures that stuff. Are they admitting that when Obama won in 2008 that it was less secure? I mean, what are they even saying? It's so ridiculous to me to hear this sort of rhetoric. It has no bearing on reality or how average people think, how average people, common people, people with sense live their lives. That's not, that's not how you think. What do you mean the most secure election ever? Based on what? There's drop boxes at every, you know, every corner. We have we have election law clearly being changed in certain states. How is that secure? And then on top of that, they want to make it sound like if you want to see laws and restrictions in place that simply stop the invalid ballots from coming in that you want to have some sort of a voter suppression. It is absurd. It is a straw man argument. We've gone through some of these logical fallacies. It's it's all of them rolled up into one pretty much. It's it's not they're not really responding in good faith to the argument being made or the questions and concerns being raised. In fact, they tell you you can't even ask the questions. You can't even raise the concerns. Does that sound a little bit skeptical? Uh, or should should that make us feel I guess I should say should that make us feel Comfortable with what they're telling us or skeptical? It makes me skeptical. I'm just going to be honest. If someone says you can't ask me about that, that makes me think, well, what the heck's this about? Why can't I ask you this? I'm not here to try to humiliate anybody. I'm here just to make sure I understand what happened. 
And if you're telling me you won't ask the question, or better yet, you're going to call me, uh, you're going to say someone like me by merely asking the question should be banned from asking the question on a social media platform, or that I am somehow guilty of insurrection because I simply want to know information about the integrity of our elections. How in the world, how did we get here, right? How did we get to this point where we're not even allowed to have free and open conversation and debate, at least not in some places, and people are cheering, woo, cheering for this. It is crazy to me how quickly people have adopted this mindset. And it's people, folks, I think a lot of people think they have a mind of their own, but a lot of people simply don't. They echo what they've been told. They they look at what's being you know, set in the quote-unquote popular circles or amongst the cool kids or whatever. It's like junior high for some people. And they start parroting those phrases and, and talking points and those narratives. They have no idea what they're talking about. I played some clips yesterday which kind of illustrate that. Sometimes they get close, as the individual did yesterday, to getting it correct. But they get it when you get close, but then you end up missing missing it by a mile. You think you think that you did it due justice, or at least these folks do, and they they end up more confused than when they started the conversation. And so here we are, right here we are in the wake of all that, trying to make sense of what's coming down. Um, you know what comes next? How do we persuade? What do we do to move the needle? And I contend that one of those things is actually to watch this movie, 2,000 Mules. I do believe that. I challenge you. If you are someone who thinks it's all a hoax and made up, watch it. Watch it, and then maybe I'll even take uh, some discussions with people who, who don't believe any of it. That's okay. You know, all I'm saying at this point is, why are, we, why are we ignoring it? Does that sound anything remotely close to what happened in 2016, in the wake of the Hillary, uh, what, uh, Russian collusion delusion. Does that sound anything remotely close to what happened? No. They carried out that fake, made-up, fabricated, paid-for-by-the-Clinton-campaign narrative. They took that narrative, and they used it as the fuel for the fire to get the sitting president of the United States impeached. Now, if you ask me, if you ask me, if you take phony and fake information, as they did, paid for information, to have a dog and pony show of an impeachment trial, and then, of course, my favorite part was when they acted all somber. Oh, we're carrying these articles of impeachment over to the Senate against our will. We had no choice. President Trump was on the verge of becoming a dictator in this country. What are we supposed to do? Adam Schiff and the rest of these dramacrats carrying the, the articles of impeachment over. bad bad political theater. Just really, really bad. I mean, I found some of it, again, it's sad that this is happening to our country. Don't misunderstand me. It's it's pathetic what's happening. But just to watch what they try to get away with with a straight face, or in that case, um, they turned their smiles upside down and were frowning as though they were upset. I guarantee the second the cameras were off, they were popping the champagne and partying. It's like the Golden State Warriors were the other night. Probably had their goggles, their snow goggles on, ski goggles, spraying each other in the face, partying. I was going to say something about Pelosi's husband drinking some of the the champagne, maybe licking it off the glasses and so forth. Anyway, 
I'm just messing. Take it easy. But this, that you compare these two, it, it's not even close. It's not even close. But here we stand. You can still, Hillary can still go out there and she can say elections can be stolen. She can say it at whatever form, whatever college, university, whatever network or made up fake news media outlet. They don't, they, they're perfectly fine with her saying that. If anyone asks the question, ask the question about election integrity in 2020, you're, you're framed, <laughs> you're, you're branded as an insurrectionist. Does this sound even remotely reasonable to anyone? I don't care who you voted for. How in the world did we get to this point? How in the world? That's why I think it's important to watch 2,000 Mules. And I am under no illusion we're not going to... Some people, some people's ability to hear and receive truth is about, I mean, it's it's on life support, right? I mean, they they have been fed the lies, they not just lies about things that have happened and Hunter Biden's laptop and stuff like that. I'm talking about lies about what is big picture truth, the way that we were created to live this side of heaven. That's what I'm talking about. What this country was founded to be, what is good and wholesome and true, what is what, what is the moral foundation upon which an individual should build his or her life? They have accepted and believed and spewed so many lies they don't know up from down, left from right, black from white, whatever, day from night. They have no idea. And I understand they're not going to be ready to hear some of this stuff. I get it. I understand because they listen to CNN and Brian Stelter while he's still there and Don Lamont and... Tough guy, Chris Cuomo, who's not there anymore. Is he even anywhere? I don't even know. He might have a podcast for all I know. And so they their ability to hear the truth, I understand. Or at least to hear the evidence isn't even, isn't even there. But there are some people that are searching. There really are. And that, that's the people we should be focused on. And I think there's more than the average person realizes. I really believe that. Truly believe that. And so simply by watching this, and many of you have seen this already, but watch it again. Get it from D'Souza's group, um, you know, whatever. You can buy a DVD. Sometimes they're hard to get. We have ours here. We're going to have the online community. We can chat during during the uh, the documentary, and we might even open it up afterwards for a group discussion about what we had seen and you know what happens next and just have a conversation about that as well. That's what we're thinking of doing. If you're interested in that, Text MULES, M-U-L-E-S, to 317-210-2830, 317-210-2830. Again, if you find yourself asking yourself, what else can I do? I know it might seem small, but simply by knowing the information, knowing what happened, being able to articulate and explain why the evidence of election fraud in 2020 is infinitely more persuasive, infinitely more real than what we were told was worthy of impeaching a president for in 2016. And to be able to explain that to someone when that comes up in conversations, I don't care, work, family reunion, look, not everybody's going to listen, but somebody somebody can. And we can even help how to present it. I mean, that's if, if people just see that, it, it is night and day. I've always said, why would the last <laughs> the last phase of a plan of Trump's 
massive plan to steal an election from Hillary. Why would the last leg of the plan, the last step, be an ad campaign? You've got to be kidding me. See, what actually would take place is something much more similar, perhaps even identical, to what we saw in 2020, which is documented video evidence of people doing things that at bare minimum need to be explained. They need to be explained. They definitely don't need to be ignored. They definitely don't need to be pretended, you know, have people pretend like they didn't happen. And we can't depend on someone else to do this. We have to do it ourselves. We have to do it. People ask, what can I do? This is one of the things. I'm telling you, I don't care if you get it from him, if you're interested in watching with us, anyway, either way, makes no difference. But having that ability to share that information with people I think is critical. Got to take a break here. Listening to Conservative Not Better Talk, I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. I wanted to do this yesterday, ran out of time. We're talking about republic versus democracy. And I want to I share something that occurred to me over the weekend as I was reading a uh, passage from the Bible. Now, this isn't a sermon. This is, this is to demonstrate something. And I want to pause before I do this because I know some people need to hear me say this before I get into this. The whole that this is this is a passage Matthew twenty seven, uh, when he was before Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman governor at the time, and I want to make this abundantly clear: it didn't matter. It would not have mattered what Caesar wanted to do. It, nothing would have stopped the reason Jesus came to Earth, which was to die on the cross for humanity. Now I know some of you hang in there if you don't. There, there's. I want to get to something here that I think is illustrative about the type of of government that we have, and what I just want to compare and contrast. Because again, going back to what we discussed yesterday, democracy versus republic, um, I think that this is really important to to get our hands around. So, if so, Jesus, the the entire Old Testament is written. It, it's it's the story. The whole Bible is the story of God's re- plan of redemption for humanity. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, right? Genesis, what, chapter 3? The rest of the Bible. In fact, if you read Genesis 3, it talks about um, it talks about the serpent striking the heel of the Messiah that would come one day, who would come one day, and but he would crush the serpent's head. So this, this plan was set into motion immediately, but there was a whole history of things that happened. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but the, the stories are magnificent, uh, in in the Bible, and you look at what happened and how we got to the point of Jesus and the whole stories. It's just remarkable when you, especially when you factor in things like the Seder, the Passover meal, and so forth. Just fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff to try to wrap our heads around and understand the intricate de- details. So God's plan was to send His Son to die for the forgiveness of sin. There can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of innocent blood. So He's going to send His Son Jesus to do that. That was the plan from the beginning. So no plan of man could thwart that. If God speaks it into being, it 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 is as sure as the noonday sun. It cannot not happen in, in another sense, another way of speaking. So I don't want to be misinterpreted here. I'm not saying if there was one system of government or another that anything would have changed with that. I'm simply using this for an illust- illustrative purpose. Okay, so Jesus is before Pilate. You might remember if you know the full story, 
Jesus was arrested under the cover of darkness by the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. They had a, fo- a mock and, and phony trial. But they didn't want, they knew what they were dealing with. They were dealing with a man who was very, the son of God too, but they were dealing with an individual who was popular and liked by the people. He was, it's a few days before, rode in on a donkey and was um, was welcomed with, you know, open arms to the city of Jerusalem. So they didn't, they knew that they were, you know, that there, there were people that really loved and appreciated Jesus. So they, they didn't really want to have all this blood on their hands, at least from the public perception. So they, they took him to Pilate the next morning, who's the governor. So think of the, the Jewish people were, in, this is very simplistic. I don't want anyone to take this too literally because this is, this is not meant to be a, a perfect analogy. But just for the sake of understanding, imagine the, the, the Jewish people, the Roman authorities kind of gave them some permissions to rule almost like a local government. The Roman government above them certainly had the both the means and the uh, desire at times to overrule whatever they were doing, but basically they kind of let the local Jewish religious leaders run some things, but then they would also, of course, not allow them to do everything. So there was this interesting dynamic, almost, almost in a sense, and I don't, it's not perfect analogy, but in a sense, you could think somewhat like federalism, even though that's not a perfect analogy because the federal government shouldn't be able to come in and tell the local governing authorities that they can't do something in most cases. And I mean, it, it's there's some complexity there. But the point is there was a local ruling group to some d- degree, and then there were regional groups. And, and Pilate, of course, reported ultimately to Caesar in Rome. And so they brought Jesus before him. And Jesus, uh, Pilate questioned Jesus and said, I find, I find this man guilty of nothing, right? In fact, he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And I, by the way, for the people who say Jesus never said he was the Messiah, just 20, Matthew 27, what is this, 27, 11. So, I mean, this is, this is what upset the Pharisees. I mean, this is, this is Jesus committing, in their mind, blasphemy. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. And so he remained silent after that. There was this, you know, this back and forth, so to speak, Pilate questioning Jesus, Jesus not responding, Pilate looking at the crowd saying, I don't find any guilt in this man. You know, it's your custom. I can release, I can release a prisoner. Do you want Barabbas released or do you want Jesus released? And he thought, he was, again, he was really trying to not execute an innocent man. And he says, who do you want me to release, Jesus or Barabbas. Barabbas was a known criminal. And what are the the crowd starts chanting release Barabbas. So Pilate realizes I got a serious problem on my hands here. I don't this this is heading in a direction. You know, I kind of thought that if I gave him a choice, they would say let Jesus go, but they didn't. So what's what's going on here? In fact, they want me to let this known criminal go, Barabbas. And so keep in mind, it's it's the majority. This is what I want to get to. And again, folks, Jesus was was here to carry out the mission of dying on the cross. There was no system of government that was going to change this. There was no maneuver Pilate could do to get out of this. This was ordained by God himself. So I want to be clear on that. But I just want to illustrate what the dangers of, of majority rule without any protections for individual liberty 
when they are chanting, release Barabbas, that's bad enough. They want to you know, at least keep Jesus, hold Jesus accountable for something Pilate says he's not guilty of. In fact, Pilate took his hands and washed him, and he said, this man's blood is not on my hands. What you were doing isn't just, basically, is what he said. But he allowed it to happen anyway, because, again, his job was to keep peace in the city, and he could see that there was um, a lot of anger, a lot of anger towards Jesus, even though he had also been well-received and was loved in other circles um, as he was welcomed into Jerusalem on Palm, uh, Palm Sunday just a few days before. So he then asked them, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they say, crucify him. Again, the crowd yelling, crucify him. Pilate found nothing wrong in him. This, folks, when I talk about pure democracy, again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting, I've said it, this is the third time now. I do not want to be taken out of context. Jesus was going to be crucified even if, it, even if they had a constitution with individual rights written in them that said you cannot be crucified without a trial by jury or whatever. This still would have happened. So I want to be clear. But the difference is, the, the important difference is demo, pure democracy demanded that Jesus be crucified, and then that was the, the natural outcome. That would have been what happened in a pure democracy. The people spoke, and, and Jesus was crucified in spite of having done nothing wrong, right? Again, understand, I understand the real reason Jesus was there, but just from this perspective, Jesus was being accused of something he was not guilty of, right? So, if it were a republic, and if it was, a, say, a republic that respected the right of the individual, there would have been safeguards that said, hey, there's, he, has, <laughs> he has these rights, correct? Now, if they still would have carried out the crucifixion, which they would have, I want to be abundantly clear, they would have. Instead of it being the natural result of how the system works, pure democracy, they're clamoring for something, the majority of the people want it, and you you do it in spite of how that might impact an individual's rights. It would have it would have taken corrupt leaders and deliberate uh, they're deliberately ignoring the rules of the republic for that to happen. Does that make sense? And so I think these are important. The system. A republic is designed, it just hit me as I was reading this, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, it just hit me that this is, this is just for illustrative purposes. One, the majority demands something and they get it, and that is, that's what it is. Now, some people would say, well, we would protect the rights of the minority, and I would say, well, now you're talking about a republic. Now, that's the whole point of this conversation. And others, if, if this happened, something like this happened in a republic, it wouldn't would not have been because the rules and the system was flawed. It would be because the people running the system would have broken the rules, which is still bad. I'm not saying it's not bad, but there would have had to have been something else that had happened in order for this thing to have taken, this, this, the crucifixion of this example to have taken place. So I just, I wanted to share that. Those are some thoughts I had on that over the weekend. Again, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's designed to illustrate what we're trying to protect against with the democracy. And I don't want to be misunderstood. Last time I'm saying this, I'm not saying that any of that would have stopped Jesus' crucifixion because God spoke it to be and it was going to happen. I'm simply saying, I'm simply saying that one of those systems is designed to pre- prevent that sort of thing from happening, can still be abused, 
but there's an additional step. One of those systems, simply letting the majority choose on everything, pure democracy, you can see at least why we should be afraid or concerned with pure democracy that does not protect the rights of the minority, of the individual, actually, which is the smallest minority you could ever come up with, by the way. So, all that being said, just wanted to share that yesterday, didn't have time, long this segment. Listening to Conservative Not Better Talk, I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. friends okay so now i want to i guess continue in the same talking about faith a little bit this is something from on this happened on was it friday afternoon kamala's out about to get into an suv or something and she's been asked about she's talking about um the impending the imminent supreme court decision that could potentially overthrow the Roe versus Wade and Casey decisions. And so she's talking here about faith, you know, belief in God, and how to reconcile that with abortion, more or less. And so I want to play this soundbite, and I want to talk about this, because I would contend she could not be further from the truth. So here's what she has to say. So we're going to see. I've, I've been convening. I've convened faith leaders. And, you know, for, for those of us of faith, I think that we, we agree, many of us, that there's nothing about this issue that will require anyone to abandon their faith or change their faith. It's simply saying that the government should not have the ability to decide what an individual does with her own body. Okay, that's that's the argument, if you will, of the left. The issue of abortion is simply a government deciding what a woman, which I don't even know if we can say that anymore. In fact, in some circles, I guess we would say, Oz, help me out here. What's the correct way? To, Oz keeps me on track. What's uh, keeps me in compliance? The correct, uh, how do you say someone who's expecting a baby and without saying mother? Is there a way to say that? Birthing person. Is that what it is? Birthing person, if you could hear Oz back there. Birthing person. So Kamala, I'm not very, I'm disappointed that you didn't catch this, but this is for birthing people. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I just can't, I can't sometimes. But so the, the argument is for birthing people um, that are for the pro-abortion crowd, or if you want pro-choice crowd, I'm trying to be, let's just be fair so I can explain their what they're trying to say here, which is basically... Faith doesn't say that you should infringe upon someone's right to do with their own body as they choose. That's what she's saying. <sighs> this, this is disingenuous. Th- this is not. This is either not thought through. Of course, at this level, at a Kamala Harris vice president level, this is this has been focus grouped. I mean, this is the best they can come up with. This is this is all about optics and. Uh, her being a dramacrat. This is not about, I mean, at this point, it's not even what anybody really believes. It's what they think is, is can be sold the best to the American people. And if you can get people to say, well, you know, the government's not allowing a woman to do with her own body what she wants, then that's bad. And I agree with that, by the way. I think that it is bad that the government would 
Um, let me finish for those of you who may not understand what I'm getting at here. But I think it is bad for the government to interfere and tell people what to do with their own body. The problem is, and this is as obvious as the noonday sun, there is no, this is not a, this is not a, what I want to say, a good faith argument. This is a talking point designed to make you think, to make the American people think, me think, that this is about something else. It's about government interfering with um, with women, well, birthing people's lives and their bodies. It's not at all what it is about. Now, they try to spin it like this. It's clearly about the unborn child's body. That's what this is about. It's about the unborn child's body. Now, if you want to have a good faith discussion, first of all, you have <laughs> it's, it is impossible based upon what we know about science. If you believe in science, as they tell us, believe in science. They're the party of science, they tell us. If you can't understand and accept that an egg, ser- an, an egg a sperm cell from a man... I guess a birthing, what would you, I don't know what you would call that as. Birthing, not a birthing person, a contributing person to the birthing person, the sperm cell from that individual, and an egg cell from the birthing person genetically is unique. It's 50% genetically like the father, if I'm allowed to say that, and 50% genetically like the mother, but genetically unique. Begins to grow, cellular replication, explosion of light, all that stuff. It is clear. It is, it is beyond a serious thing to say that that, is, that that is part of the woman's body. Now, you can say it's inside the woman's body. That is factually correct. But to say that that body is the woman's body is not intellectually, excuse me, birthing person's body, is not intellectually honest. It is not. And so, now, what you'll find about me and people who believe in free speech, I'm not going to go out there and demand that Kamala be censored for saying this ridiculous sort of logic. I think she should she should say it all day, and it be destroyed uh, philosophically and logically, which is obviously easy to do. This is not this is not serious. This is not serious. It is just something they focus grouped that says, "Hey, they're coming for your bodies," which sounds awful. It does. But that's not the point. The point is the other person's body, the the third person in the equation. Birthing person. Look at this. I'm getting good at this. Birthing person, contributing person to the birth, the, the traditionally what we would call, call the father of the baby. That's so 2020. But that and then the baby, right? And so she's saying, for those of us of faith, there's nothing about this issue that will require you to abandon your faith or what, to change your faith? Really? I mean, the Bible's pretty clear the value that it places on human life. I, I, <laughs> that's not, uh, and I say this, if you're someone who cares about what the Bible says about human life, and look, I've been through this. If you've had an abortion, someone you know has had an abortion in the past, this is not about heaping guilt upon you. The God of the Bible is a forgiving God, and he wants He wants you to heal from, from this. A lot of women go through very difficult times after having abortions. I've seen it in our church. We've had, we've had a group in the past. I don't know that there still is one, but there has been a support group. And I've seen that 
you know, some of them have shared a little bit. And it's been very, very difficult. And it's not about that. What it's about is from this moment forward, do not be manipulated. If, if you're in this position, my heart goes out to you. This I understand it can be scary, overwhelming, all that stuff. I understand. And I think sometimes the church and Christians maybe get a little, maybe have gotten too judgmental on that. And maybe that's the case for you. But to me, that's not what any of this is about right now. What this is about is don't be deceived by this, by this rhetoric, by this sophistry. I mean, this is serious business. Don't take your biblical instruction from Kamala Harris if she's she's going to say stuff like this. This is just factually and biblically ridiculous. Rethink it. Rethink it. It is serious. It does cause people of faith to have to do something with this. Do I respect the life as God as God talked about, or do I ignore it? That's really the question. It's not what does it say about this. Give me a break. That's not at all what this is about. Timeout's in order, my friend. A little bit long in this segment. Sit tight. Listen to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. And there was one more thing, and I've got this in the stack of stuff today. Community.tothuffshow.com. Just scroll down to the stack of stuff. Yes, I see that. Last thing I want to get to, I'm not going to be able to talk about it in detail. I have run out of time here. But NBC News over the weekend had written an article. Keep in mind, it's Father's Day weekend. Headline of this article, or I guess this op-ed, um, masculinity overdue for a reckoning after mass shootings, child advocates say. Subheadline of this is programs around the country are trying to reduce violence in boys and young men by changing the perspective of what it means to be Man, I don't have time to go into this, but suffice it to say that there's a lot of confusion out there um, about true masculinity. By the way, true masculinity intervenes to stop this crap, right? I mean, that's that's what we've, I don't know, you're not even allowed to say this stuff anymore. But that's what happens, right? There's this idea of toxic masculinity. I mean, it, it presupposes that there's elements of masculinity that are, that are bad. I would say the things that are truly bad are not truly what it means to be masculine. It's some sort of a corruption or a misrepresentation of what is what it actually is. Nothing wrong with masculinity. In fact, of all the things we need to teach in America today, we need to teach masculinity again. The last thing we need are a bunch of wimpy men running around. This is when strong men need to be standing up and be uh, be counted right now. And for the times to come after this, this this is not going away anytime soon. I I tell people that I know this this fight for this country, it is a perpetual fight. Perpetual fight is not going to end. It's not going to get any easier. We are in this. I am in this the rest of my life. You are in this, (laughs) like it or not, the rest of your life. You can choose to ignore it, but the fight's not going to go away. Our kids, the rest of their lives. Our grandkids, this is, Reagan was right when he said, Freedom is always one generation away from extinction. And that's why we need strong, tough, principled, masculine leadership. Man, we need it badly in this country. Will the real men please stand up? Quick time out. Back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. And look, I think, look, there, there, are, there are different 
traits and types of, of men and all that, right? But the idea, the idea, and, and the idea that there is too much masculinity or that masculinity is what's to blame for shootings, I mean, that, that is such a distortion of truth and reality. That is not, it's not what's going on there at all. That's more of a condition of the heart, deliberate decision to choose evil, something else going on mental health-wise. It's not too much masculinity. I'm out of time for the day, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. SDGC tomorrow. Take care.